0: So when I was a kid, my life was kind of interwoven with this TV series called Little House on the Prairie. My parents were fairly conservative, didn't let us watch just whatever we wanted. We were allowed a half hour of TV per day. And then if my parents would uh, deign to watch television, the the television that we we generally watched was Little House on the Prairie. That was it. And I remember that there was this kind of picture that would happen. And do you remember this series? Anybody? Okay, some of you remember. Betty Wanger remembers good. Betty's got it. But, you know, they always had these emotional moments, just big drama, big this, that. And uh, Michael Landon, who is the lead actor, is just really good at crying. He was phenomenal <laughs> as a man, at having like a little tear come down his cheek. And they faced these challenges as a community. And maybe one out of, I don't know how many episodes, seems like five or six episodes, uh, would end in the church. And there was, this, there was this view, and I, I wonder if we ever went to this set, if they had a camera for this. I don't know what it was. But they, they actually would end with everybody singing a hymn, you know, at the end of this big drama throughout the whole show. And they would end with this um, camera that, that would start at the front and kind of look, and you'd see Reverend Alden. Remember Reverend Alden? He was my pastor growing up, you know, at least through the show. And there he was, you know, up at the front, and he'd be all joyfully leading and hemming back then. Then the hymns were led by the the pastor. And then you'd see all the different families of Maple Grove. Yes, Maple Grove, yeah. And you'd see all these families and all this drama. And then the camera would just start to float like an NFL stadium camera, you know, where you'd see the play from above. And then it'd just kind of go, and it'd get all the way to the top of the ceiling, and you'd see all these people down below. And then it'd actually pop through the roof. <laughs> and it'd just kind of fly into the sky, and you would see Maple Grove with that little chapel and all these people, and you'd hear the singing. And it was as though, like, at the end of the drama... What, the, the big point was, this is what God is thinking about this church in Maple Grove. This is what he's thinking. And it changed the perspective to be from, you know, what we think about each other to being like, what does God think from above? One of the things uh, these guys have challenged us with that have been in is that they, they, they've challenged me, at least, to think about church a little differently. And I want to just give you a definition that I'm kind of stealing from them for what church is. It says, a gathering of the people of God to to discern what God is saying and to proclaim and embody it with our lives. In other words, when we get done with Sunday morning and when we get done with weeks of church and years of church and all this, we're not actually looking... Like this, across at each other, we're actually supposed to be expecting that God is looking from above. And what is he doing through this community? And is is there something specific that he wants through Parker Ford Church? And is he working in our lives? There's a moment in worship. I don't know if you feel this, but sometimes I feel it on a Sunday morning. and, And Shelby and I will talk about it in the afternoon, where people just seem to join into a song. We don't know why it happens. It feels a little bit to me like like when you're on a boat and that boat is chugging through the water and all of a sudden it gets up in plane and it just kinda takes off, you know what I'm saying? Um, we have a church van and sometimes that church van, when you start it out, it kinda chugs. <laughs> you know, like this, and then all of a sudden, it's like the, the fuel injection system takes off, and I drove it the other day, and sure enough, you know, you get up to 55, and it's smooth sailing, you know, and it's like that with worship, and all of a sudden, it's like we all kind of come together, you can feel a harmony in it, and it's a harmony beyond music, it's a harmony in spirit, and it's as though God is, for a moment, getting out of the church what he wanted, and that one moment of music, I think that can happen in all sorts of different ways, but that's what God wishes for a church, not just one moment in worship, but actually for us to be in harmony and unity with each other, hearing what he's calling us to be and do, and blessing it, saying, yes, Lord, this is, yes, yes, Parker Ford Church, and we're saying, yes, Lord, this is what we want. And it's as though he sees across to all of our land and says, this is the one role that I have for Parker Ford Church. This is the unique position. When I look at my kids, they're all three different, and I don't expect the same thing. I don't even expect the same grades out of all three of them. They have very different levels of expectation. And, yet, and so when we look at them, God is doing different things. And as a church, God has specific things for us. He says, this is a unique community that I've created. This is a unique set of people that I've called to be together. And he's consecrating us; he's setting us apart. The word consecration means to follow God and his designating of time, space, or people as put aside for a specific purpose. Three things that God consecrates throughout the scriptures. We can see them. My first inkling as far as consecration when I started studying this a few years ago, and this is not a recent thought for me, was Abraham who traveled to the, the, the promised land that God laid out for him. He's actually in southern Babylon, which is southern Iraq, and he travels all the way across the Fertile Crescent to come to this place called Israel that he doesn't know is going to be named Israel because it's going to be named for his grandkid. And he sets, api- and he sets himself apart. Listening to God. And in this place, God changes the whole world through this guy's decision to be a set-apart person. And then he consecrates space and time and all of these other pieces. And this morning, I want to walk through just a bunch of different scriptures that are going to talk through the basis for for saying, let's set aside some time. Let's set aside some space. Let's set aside some people. Let's see God move in these things because he's calling us to. Okay, So that's what we're going to talk about is the basis scripturally for understanding consecration and that's going to be more of a teaching than a sermon especially since we have fewer of us this morning i was out anybody out like at midnight last night you were it was it was just wild right I mean, it was just absolutely insane the wind blows right through my clothes i mean it was crazy out there and i know there is a bunch of people that thought it was going to be just so bad this morning they couldn't get out so we're going to kind of make this a teaching and if you want to shout out something if you have a thought i'm okay with that literally Okay, so uh, consecration means to follow God in his designating time, space, or people as put aside for a specific purpose. The first thing we see in the Bible that gets consecrated is right off in the beginning, consecrating time. In Genesis 2, 2, and 3, it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. That word, makes it, make it holy, is the same word as consecration. It's a word that's used all across the Old Testament New Testament. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I find this absolutely amazing. That the God of the universe, the first day for human beings, what day were we created on? You remember day one, we have the let there be light, right? The, the scientific laws are probably created on that, that day. And then day two, the waters are separated. There's a sky and there's, a, there's an ocean. And then day three, there's dry land with plants. And day four, anybody remember? The sun, moon, and stars are created on day four. And day five, we get the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and these things <laughs> that fill up the two bodies of water, the stuff up there and the stuff down there. Day six, all of the animals are created. And then finally, there's this kind of moment. It's a culminative moment. It's an epic moment. God says, okay, I've created all this other stuff. Now I'm going to create the apex of my creation, the ultimate thing. Holding those little babies for the last week, two weeks in my aunt. You see, this is absolutely an amazing creation of God, right? It's easy to doubt people around us when we see all of the frustrations and difficulties of human beings, but when you see the mind of Christ and the mind of God as it's laid out in Genesis 1 and 2, these human beings are the, the center of it all for him. He says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And that's day six. So on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. He, he set it aside. The seventh day for God is the what day for us. Well, we call it Sunday, but it, it would have been Saturday in the Jewish calendar, but that's not the point. It's actually the first day we're on earth, the first day with, with this whole planet. God sets aside, says, let's spend time together. And he consecrates that bit of time, and he says, you need space with me. Before sin ever enters into the world, before all the brokenness of our time, it's not as though we're just trying to get back from brokenness when we set aside time. This is God wanting to make time for us. My anniversary is tomorrow. Tomorrow. And there's a big meeting in Pottstown tomorrow night. Local representative, a, league, uh, a leader of our area is coming to talk about the drug violence. One of the ministries that I'm involved in actually had a shooting right out back this week, and there's, they're going to be talking about that. And my friends are texting me, are you going to the meeting on Monday night? And it's my anniversary. You know what I'm saying? Uh-oh. Set apart time. It's important for... Jay, you have a thought. It's obvious, it, your it's obvious my anniversary, and it's obvious to my wife as well, and that... That's because when you love someone, you set aside time to be with them. And when you stop setting aside time to be with that person, bad things happen, right? And when you get a little lost, and most relationships do get a little bit lost, what do you do? You set aside more time, you go away. You take a vacation. You get away for a weekend. You do what you need to do to make sure this relationship works. And God, right from the beginning, said this is going to be an interesting relationship between the human race and myself. So let me say, every week we're going to set aside a day. And he goes on and sets aside all sorts of other time throughout the history of the Old Testament. He does this so that we set aside time to meet and connect with him most beautiful picture in the Old Testament of meeting with God is actually not just on the, first, on the, on the last day of the week, but actually every day, the, the first man and woman walking with God in the cool of the Garden of Eden. Genesis tells us they had this conversation. It's like they walked, just, just kind of getting their exercise with God. Wouldn't that be great? I love that picture. He goes on and across the Old Testament, there's all these other periods of time that are set aside. The Passover, that's the time that Jesus will actually choose to die. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we're heading into the Lenten season, and he chooses the Passover season and chooses to be in Jerusalem on Passover weekend and actually dies on that weekend, taking advantage of a time that's been set aside for the better part of 1,400 years. And Jesus actually honors the Passover with his life. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes. That goes all the way back to Moses too, 1,400 years before Jesus. Other festival days or fe- feast days, seventh-year rests and 50-year jubilees. You can see those in Le- Leviticus 23 and 25. In the Christian calendar, we have the Sundays uh, all throughout the year, 52 of them usually, Christmas and Lent, right? And we're heading into the Lenten season. And what we're saying this Lent is we want God to do something new in our church. We're seeing an epic level of change, a a revolutionary amount of altering going on within us. And yet that means we need to set aside time. And because God's setting aside our community to do a specific purpose, we need to make sure we're ready for that. And so the fast or the Lenten season of of fasting used to be we used to give up. Would you, you ever give up anything for Lent? What do you give up? Carol's Catholic, so she knows for sure that you get w- chocolate, candy, TV. What else? He's giving up cauliflower. Giving up cauliflower. <laughs> Dave, started, Dave started giving up cauliflower about 50-some years ago, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Broccoli, Brussels sprouts, all those things we could give up. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. But when Tim was talking about what his family's giving up, I found it interesting. He's not just giving up something that, that's saying, okay, well, I just kind of, a little bit of discipline, you know. No, no, he's giving up stuff that's actually helping him to connect with Christ. And that's one of the things we need to learn about this season is it's not actually about what we're leaving behind. It's actually what we're trying to embrace. It's the space to create time with God so he can change our hearts. There's no, there's no substitute for this. When we don't have time with God, when we don't have time for the people we love, when we don't have time appropriately for the things in our life that God's calling us to, we will run out of, it's as though you you don't put gas in your tank. And so for us, when we're making a significant change at Parker Ford Church, we're saying we, we need to honor all that God has done throughout the history of the world in consecrating time and setting aside periods of space where we can meet with him and have our hearts be altered. And quite frankly, when we were meeting, and Jen kind of shared with you some of the thoughts we had, when we were meeting, we, we at points said, we're not going to go too far with this until we've spent time praying and fasting and seeking God. And we have this 40 days coming up, so let's not answer a, a number of questions about where Parker Ford church is headed until we've really gone through prayer because we know what we would think the answers would be today but what we want to know is after we meet with God for two three weeks where will that end up four weeks and who knows at the end of Lent we might be different And I would want for you to expect that God would want to change you, that he wishes to alter our hearts, to purify us, to consecrate us, to to make us people other than who we are this morning during this time. And throughout the history of the Bible, if you look, God has done that again and again. When people give their space to him, he uses that time, takes advantage of that space in their lives and says, yes, I'm I'm going to change them. Well, That's the first thing God consecrates, but he goes on and he consecrates a space as well. In Deuteronomy 12, it says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice you and your households and all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So we set aside space as dedicated for God's specific purpose. There are some things that just can only happen in one unique location. There's actually a consecration of land, and God chooses to say, this land is set apart for my purpose. One of the great moments in the Old Testament like that is Moses, who sees a burning bush. Remember, he goes towards it, and it's always burning and never burning up, and as he gets close, the voice of God speaks to him and says, what does it say? "Take, Take off your sandals, you're standing on consecrated holy ground. There's something about land that, that, that is very important. When you watch God do this, we, we miss it easily. God sends Abraham all the way from southern Iraq to what is modern-day Israel. And if you study Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you just keep studying, you will find that Mo, or Abraham builds an altar and consecrates or prays to God and gives this land to God, dedicates it to God again and again and again. And wherever he prays, just notice those cities, underline them in your Bible, and you will find that those are almost a who's who's list of, what, of, of space that God's going to use later in the Old Testament for some other purpose. He's going to use that space for leadership. He's going to make it a political center. He's going to make it a place where his temple dwells. He's going to do all of these different things, and he starts with Abraham. You know how long there is between Moses and Abraham? So Moses comes back to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua takes over. You know how many years there is between those those Old Testament characters? 400 years. So Abraham's going to pray for things in his lifetime that the children of God are not going to see happen until we get to Joshua four centuries later. That's longer than our country has been around. And yet God honors those prayers again and again and again, and he honors them beyond anybody's remembrance. It's absolutely astounding how God's memory goes through that time. In Genesis 22, there's an epic moment where God and Abraham meet. And God tells Abraham, go off into the the wilderness for two and a half days. And when you get to the end of this journey, you're going to see a mountain, and there you're going to sacrifice your son, Isaac. And they do this. They travel. And if you read Genesis 22, it's kind of this story that's kind of broken, and you can hear the expectations. There are servants along, and they're wondering, who is the Where's the lamb? Where's the thing that's going to be sacrificed? And all that Abraham's bringing with him is some wood and his son. And they get to the final moment and the the servants are left behind and they're up on this mountain. And Abraham almost sacrifices his son Isaac. And of course, God doesn't want that that son killed. That's not the point at all. But what he's saying is, consecrate yourself to me and consecrate this land to me. What's amazing is, according to 1 Chronicles 3, that sight that Isaac almost gets sacrificed on is the place where the temple in Jerusalem will someday be built a thousand years later so as Abraham's going from space to space to space he's praying for it he's giving his time to it and he's saying God I want to meet with you here and God is using his prayer life to consecrate other things around him and there are cities one after the other after the other that are going to grow up in the places where Abraham prays and eventually in the place where he's going to have his greatest prayer moment and sacrifice the most to the Lord and alter his life to this place that he can't He can't even imagine that God wants him, but he's saying, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, all of the other gods of our day seem to want sacrifice like this, so I'll give it up. And God says, no, 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 that's not what I want. But let me tell you that 2,000 years from that moment, Jesus will be sacrificed in that exact same place where Isaac almost was sacrificed. In other words, when God consecrates space... He uses it for purposes that are so far beyond what we can see. It's absolutely just amazing. And he honors those prayers, and he honors them for centuries and millenniums. Abraham, 2,000 B.C., Jesus, 1,000, or 1 1 A.D., right there in the middle. There's 2,000 years in between them. And in the middle is David, who's actually going to set aside this space for the temple. So Isaac is almost sacrificed in this space. David builds a temple, or it starts to build a temple that Solomon will finish, and then down here, Jesus will actually be sacrificed in that place by God for our sins. Do you start to see how this works? And it takes the whole Bible to get that through. And so when God consecrates a space, it's really absolutely important. There's examples in the Bible, the temple, the tabernacle, etc. We've talked a little bit about those. Tim and I and Jen all, all attended Moody Bible Institute, and there was this time in the late 1800s when the great revivalist D.L. Moody, real big, Overweight guy with, with a big beard. He was crazy. He was kind of wild. Had like a third grade education, could barely read. Great preacher. Just felt the Spirit of God in his heart in these ways. A real emotional guy. Just loved the Lord for all he was worth. And he was sitting on the corner of Chicago Avenue. And another street. And he said, you know, I just see all these buildings and what is Chicago. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray. And he just gets on his knees. I imagine what that's like. You, you know, if you're 280 pounds and you're five foot six, that's about what he was. There's a statue of him in the college, so I know what it looked like. And he gets down on his knees. I can imagine he barely could get back up. You know what I'm saying? And he gets down on his knees and he says, God, give me this land for a, for a college. And I'll never charge students to go here. We will train them up to go into ministry. And Moody Bible Institute, 130 years later, is actually the single largest contiguous landholder in the city of Chicago as God honored that prayer. It's amazing to hear the story of how God honored that prayer. And to pray there is one of those those treasures in my life. Again and again, God used my time at Moody to, to teach me how to pray. It was like it was just set aside space in the middle of a four million person city. You could sit in the middle of it all and pray, and it was like it was its own little chapel, its own little space. I believe that's because God honored the prayer of D.L. Moody all those years back. In our own, in our own uh, church, we'll skip St. Catherine's for sake of time, but Parker Ford Church, you remember the story of how this building got here? Ron Elliott's not here, so we can talk about him, you know? He won't <laughs> be back till March. Ron was on his tractor and this was a cornfield right where we're sitting and he was going along and he saw a church here and he, in typical crusty Ron sort right of way told the church, he said, listen, I think there's a building that's supposed to be a church here. I'll give you, what was it, ten years? Five years. I'll give you five years to build. And he had to have some grace because the church couldn't quite make it happen. Five years to get it started. In 2006, there was actually a church here. He said, if Parker Ford Church can't build a church here, well, then I'll give the land to somebody else because there's supposed to be a church here. He he became so convinced that he just decided this is supposed to be land given to a church. We sit in what ends up being consecrated space and has a consecrated set of purposes. And all across the world, there are consecrated spaces still today, places that people have dedicated because the Lord had calls them, has called them to dedicate and said, Lord God, I want to hear you in this place. I want to set aside time, and I want to set aside this geographic location to see you move for these specific purposes. Some of those places are prayer spaces. Some of them are universities. Some of them are this, that, are the thing. Plenty of them are churches. One of the questions that we need to ask ourselves as a congregation is, is, how does God want me to give my space and my time to the Lord? Maybe it's that my house is supposed to have things going on it that are, that are consecrational, places where, where the light can shine in the darkness from our very geographic locations. And we as a community definitely should be consecrating our space to be ple- people who, who kind of just blast out the light of Jesus remember this sign over here, it says we exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in his presence. What if we were so absolutely revealing God's nature in this time and in this space that people around us saw the great change in us and the great character of our church and it illuminated around us in a beautiful way? That's our huge prayer. That's the prayer of the Firefly Army. Well, there's one last thing that God consecrates. Acts 13, I had to get a New Testament passage in here, has this great little storyline. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Who's Saul? That's right. His, his Greek name will be Paul. That's his Jewish name, Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, listen to these words, set apart for me, that's consecration, right? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I love this picture of the church in a space that they'd given over to God in a time when they were meeting to pray, and they're literally saying, God, please move in us. And as they're praying, God says, let me do what you would probably never have expected for me to do. Let me send these two people out. Of all the prophets and teachers, all the pastors in this church, I would like Saul, Paul, and Barnabas, these two people, to be set out to do the work that I have for them. And what follows are these amazing missionary journeys all throughout Acts. They go and start churches and lead people to Christ and they're broken and beat up and have all of this devastation in the middle of what is the greatest hopeful set of passages maybe in the New Testament after church, after church, after church is built up because of these two guys. Barnabas is a great encourager. Paul is an evangelist with a great theological gift and they set themselves apart and the community of Christ sets themselves apart and says there's a specific work Every year when we pray and ask God to bless people in different roles at Parker Ford Church, we have to be very careful because what we're asking—it's not just you're not just a trustee—you're a dedicated person to care for the building. You're not just, a, not just a deacon, you're a nurturer. You're somebody who God has called to do this amazing work of caring for the body of Christ. You're not just an elder, but you're a discerning overseer for what God wants to do within this community. And there's all sorts of gifts all across the New Testament. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. It goes on and on and on. And yet the New Testament calls us to dedicate people to the calling of God. In Ephesians 4, there's that list that I just mentioned in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, kings, and judges. So when we set aside time for God, what we're doing in this time is we're asking God to consecrate three things. We're asking God to use this space to do more than we've seen so far. We're asking God to take this time, 40 days, to change the the trajectory of our church and to alter us and to bless us with the ability to do more for Christ and to embody his nature more, to reveal more of who God is. And then we're saying, Lord, whatever you have in the way of giftings, little little pieces of ourselves that maybe we don't even see in ourselves. Every person in this congregation has some gift, some consecrated little part of themselves. God wants to use those things. And if we're not making the most use of them, then we're missing somehow in the stewardship that God has placed on us. Isn't that a great thought? that we're actually consecrating time so that some person who just started to come here last week, who, and I keep a list of these names, I won't say who they are, but they, they have a gift, and they walked in the door with a the gift. They might not even know Jesus, and yet uniquely within them, he has placed a little package that says this is what they're good at doing, and we don't know what that is yet, but we need to find out. And then we need to see it maximized for the kingdom of God. And then we need to see it work out in harmony so everybody can be blessed, not just to be, to be cared for as a body, but actually to be mobilized as a body that can move out and do the kingdom work of Jesus the Christ. That's why we consecrate. That's why we set aside time and we ask God to meet with us during this period of time. What a gift if we saw him move. So what I, I want to ask, we're almost out of time, what I want to ask is that you would join me in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to stand and there's actually a prayer I just wrote to kind of have as a time of consecration. We're going to walk out of this time, and there's going to be all sorts of things over the next 40 days, beginning on Wednesday. We have a service here Wednesday night. And then you'll notice there are prayer times in that Lenten guide. There's actually little prayer times that you can join into corporately that I'll be leading during the time. There's one on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. There's one on uh, there's one on Thursdays in the, in the evening where everybody can be there. I think we're going to have communion a whole lot of the time in that service so, or in that time together. So if you come out, we're going to participate in communion. Friday at, at noon, there's a time where if you're on your lunch hour, you come out to Parker Ford Church and you pray. These will, each of them, have one hour at So I'm asking you to give space in your life to God and say, yes, I want to pray for Parker Ford Church. I want to pray for myself. I want to pray for the other people around here. I want to pray that we will be all that God created us to be. And everybody's invited to each one of those. There's four of those times. Check them out in the Lenten guide. But this is the prayer that I want to ask you to pray with me. It says these words, and I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me when we get up, and I'll I'll have you stand, but I'll read it first. It says, Father, we ask that in this season you would be honored by what you see at Parker Ford Church, that you would take this time to change us to be who and what you want your church in this space to be. Consecrate us that our imaginations might expand to your calling Our hearts might be pure for your leading and our worship might be devoted. Expand your kingdom through us, accomplishing your will we ask. Provide for your plan, forgive and cleanse our failures and lead us forward that we may reveal your nature to the world around us. Can you pray that? We want to set aside this next 40 days to see where God will lead us and to pray for our leaders to discern what God is calling us to. And, and I want to set that out by, by saying, okay, let's stand and let's just pray together, okay? And I'll kind of break into extemporaneous prayer at the end of this. So let's stand, and I'll read, and you read re- right along with me. I'll read really slowly. This is, a, this is a communal prayer. I wrote it so that we could all pray together, dedicating our church to God. So here we go. Father... We ask that in this season, you would be honored by what you see at Parker Ford Church, that you would take this time to change us, to be who and what you want your church in this space to be. Consecrate us that our imaginations might expand to your calling, our hearts might be pure for your leading, and our worship might be devoted. Expand your kingdom through us, accomplishing your will, we ask. Provide for your plan, forgive and cleanse our failures, and lead us forward that we may reveal your nature to the world around us. Lord God, and we ask in the name of Jesus that you would do just that. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people who love you and love one another. And thank you for the fact that you have greater expectations for this body than we've seen so far. Thank you for the fact that you want to alter us to be better stewards, a better wineskin for what you want to do. Just building your kingdom in our time and in our space, Lord. The, the need around us is great and the God above us is absolutely amazing, we would ask that you would make us the conduit of your grace in this time, that you would make us the, the servants that can, that can change the world through what you do here at Parker Ford Church. I thank you for the fact that you have consecrated space here through Ron and through others who have dedicated and given and cared for this building. Lord, thank you for the fact that you have just seasonally blessed over and over again, changing seasons and altering Parker Ford Church to fit the time and calling that you've placed on it. And God, thank you for the people you have placed within us, hundreds of years of history here at Parker Ford Church, and men and women who have given of themselves and dedicated their time. Lord, do this again, we ask. And we face a whole new bunch of people, a whole new bunch of kids who are born into our congregation. We would want to see them altered to be absolutely devoted to the Lord God of the universe. We would ask that you would help our children and our new families and all of what's happening here become just absolutely committed to Jesus the Christ, Lord God, so that we could see your kingdom built. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.